0: Rob, what are you doing? We're about to start the podcast.
1: But Andy, I'm out the back making a barbecue.
0: What are you doing that for? We need to talk. We need to talk about insurance.
1: Insurance? Andy, I can't afford to have income insurance.
0: Rob, you can't afford not to have insurance.
1: But who can help me?
0: I use my accountants, Quantify Accountants and Bondi Junction. Have you heard of them?
1: The ones that spell quantify with a PH?
0: That's them. Quantify as in quantify. Q U A N T I P H Y. Look, they're terrific. A medium sized four partner firm who specialize in tax advice and compliance and retirement investment advice. They also have other divisions like mortgage broking and a superannuation division. And they're not your stereotype boring accountants. They may not be hip. But definitely modern.
1: All right, I'll I'll call them. I just want to finish this barbecue. You're going to have a sausage.
0: Yes, please. As long as it's a vegetarian sausage.
1: Now, where's that lighter? <laughs> I hope I have fire insurance.
0: Quantified accountants, proud sponsors of Coffee, Cake and Culture, the music podcast. welcome to coffee cake and culture the music podcast my name is andy bromberger
1: and i'm rob caldor hello andy what's on the menu for today's podcast
0: oh musically the menu today is looking at the other instruments of the orchestra because rob you know we've been looking in this series at the families of the instruments the woodwinds the brass the strings and the percussion but there are also a bunch of instruments that have sometimes been in the orchestra and are no longer in the orchestra. And there are just a bunch of other instruments that I thought I might throw together and get you to have a look and a listen to. Some that you may have heard of, or definitely heard of, and some that you may never have heard of.
1: Now, Andy, in my time I have been othered and I feel, I feel already an affinity with these instruments that are... <laughs> In the corner, (laughs) probably sometimes packed away in a box a bit dusty and then pulled out for specific pieces by obscure, you composers. (laughs) I do love learning and I am enjoying this podcast and I hope everyone else is. And if you haven't told your friends, just send them a link to the Spotify or Apple podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us because we're having a lot of fun and doing some, I think some really cool educational kind of things. But much more important than that. What's on what's on the eating menu, Andy? Oh, I'm,
0: I'm, that I'm menu. hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> so on the menu today are apple cakes.
1: Hmm. Okay, well that sounds that's uh, Verge on Unhealthy.
0: Verge is Unhealthy. We went apple picking a couple of weeks ago. I have been making apple cakes ever since. So these are really moist, yummy, moorish apple cakes with heaps and heaps and heaps of grated apple in them. Very simple very easy cakes to make and instead of using maple syrup which is what the recipe actually calls for I've actually been using date syrup lately which is giving it a really sort of a nice taste to it so I will put that up my website there'll be these little apple cakes I'll be making little cupcakes but you know once you've got the batter you can make anything you want And I've been making a cinnamon icing with them too, which adds a really lovely another dimension to these apple cakes.
1: So, Andy, I imagine you can use all those apples that aren't quite right in this apple cake.
0: Totally, totally. So all the apples that we picked were absolutely beautiful, but as the weeks have gone on, the apples aren't quite as gorgeous to eat, but they are perfect for these apple cakes.
1: I'm looking forward to... uh sampling some of your apple cake. And yes, you can check it out on the Coffee Cake and Culture website. And we are getting great feedback that people are actually making the cakes and desserts.
0: Yes, which is fantastic. Thank you very much. And if you want to send me a little link saying how they've been or send photos, please do. Cause I'd love to see your creations of these cakes too.
1: Okay, so Andy, let's talk about the others.
0: So we're going to talk about a mix of others. The first instrument that we're going to talk about is the saxophone.
1: Ah, yes. Very 80s kind of sound for me, the sax.
0: Yes, I knew you were going to say that. But let's think instead of 1980s, let's think of 1880s. So let's go right back because... The saxophone is a really versatile instrument and I knew you were going to go straight to sort of the Kenny G type world of, of the 80s and 90s, but I'm wanting to go right back to the beginning, which is more like the 1840s. So in the 1840s, there was a guy called Adolf Sax in France and he was a Belgian guy, but he was working in Paris and he was Really, he was trying to make the bass clarinet a much more usable instrument. And he decided that as well as improving the bass clarinet, he was going to make a whole bunch of new instruments, which he called the saxophone because his name was Aldolf Sax. So we have saxophone from the maker of the instrument, Mr. Sachs, or Monsieur Sachs, I suppose. So he wanted to make an instrument that had the dexterity of the wind instruments, as in with all the keys being able to play as quickly as you possibly can, but something with the guts and the the sound quality of a brass instrument. So what he did was he took the fingering of the woodwind instruments and the metal of the brass instruments and he basically stuck them together and he made a whole series of instruments in fact he made two families of instruments he made a family of instruments that were for orchestral music and a family of instruments that were for military bands military bands were really big in the 1800s rob we've talked a lot about transposition, transposing instruments, and how like the clarinet is in B-flat and the trumpets are in B-flat and the horn is in F. We've talked a lot about this. So what he did with his instruments is that the ones that were for the orchestra were in the key of C and F, and the ones that were in the military bands were in the key of B-flat and E-flat, and I'll explain that to you and the reasons why. The ones for the orchestra, if we think about most of the orchestral instruments, they're in C all the strings, the flute, oboe, bassoon, they're all in C. So it made sense that the main instrument was in C. If we look at the family of the saxophones today, we have the soprano, the alto, the tenor and the barry sax. They're not double the size of each other. They're half the size of each other. So you're not going to have the soprano sax being in C and then the alto sax being in C because you're going to have something double the size. That's mm. not going to work. So there's half the sizes. And if you're half the sizes, the instrument's going to be in a different key. So the soprano sax was in C. The alto sax was in F. The tenor sax was in C. The baritone sax was in F. What he discovered was just like the clarinet, those instruments didn't work. The sounds weren't great. So what happened was that the orchestral Saxophones sort of disappeared very quickly, but we kept, or he kept, the other instruments, the military instruments, the military band instruments, which were in B-flat and E-flat. So today we have a soprano saxophone, which is in B-flat, an alto saxophone, which is in E-flat, a tenor in B-flat and a baritone in E-flat. So they're all sort of five notes bigger than each other.
1: Look, I, I love your description. I also love how it's it's a hybrid kind of instrument, isn't it? In the context of the era that he was in, just trying out something pretty, pretty innovative.
0: Well, you see, the thing is that it's only been really relatively recently that an orchestra is pretty set. That in the 19th century, there were heaps of instruments that came in and out of orchestras. Instruments that were popular at the time and were used and then disappeared. And we're going to be talking about a few of them today, actually, because it wasn't sort of until after World War II, really, that the orchestra almost became set in its ways, except for, as we've talked about, the percussion section, which just expands and expands and changes all as we know it but really the orchestra was a lot more fluid until recently and we think of the orchestra as being set and sometimes there are bigger wind sections and sometimes there are smaller wind sections but in the 19th century there would have been a whole series of instruments in that orchestra that we just don't have today and we don't see today so the saxophone was used in chamber music it was really really popular in in France and Belgium and because it has these four instruments, a really strong family of instruments. There's a lot of chamber music written for these four instruments. And that's what we're going to start with today. We're going to listen to a little bit of Bach. Now, obviously, saxophones and Bach don't really gel because, as I said, the saxophone was invented in about 1840 and Bach died in 1750. So we're, we've got a bit of a hundred years or so after Bach but I have absolutely no doubt that when you hear this that you are going to say as I always think if Bach had heard this instrument and this instrument had been around in Bach's day he would definitely have used the saxophone.
1: Let's have a listen. And I I could feel the uh, essence of clarinet. It was definitely a saxophone. It was very entertaining. I quite enjoyed it.
0: Well, this is why I was so keen to talk to you about saxophones, because I know where your musical enjoyment is. It's not as much on the classical world as the, the jazz world and the popular culture musical world. So I wanted to show you how the saxophone really was an instrument not... For the popular culture world or the jazz world it was an instrument for the classical world and it was only that it was then taken on a different journey that created what we now see as a saxophone initially the saxophone was very much a classical musical instrument
1: i wonder what bach would have thought of kenny g <laughs> i
0: wonder what most people think of kenny g so the question i suppose is which you may be asking, but I'll ask for you, is if the saxophone was a classical instrument, how did it get into a jazz field?
1: It's a really interesting question, Andy. I wish I could have asked that myself, but how did it get there?
0: Okay, it got there because when jazz started to become much more international and these wonderful African-American musicians sort of started to to tour the world with this fantastic new sound called jazz. There was this fantastic New Orleans clarinet jazz clarinetist called Sidney Bechet in the 1920s and he went to London with his clarinet and his band and what was happening was that the bands were getting bigger and bigger and the clarinet was becoming more and more hidden in the in the sound of the bands and somebody handed him a soprano sax and they said, give this a bell. And he could suddenly hear himself and he could be heard over the band. And that's pretty much how saxophones got into the jazz world because as, they got, as the ensembles got bigger and the music got thicker, they needed a wind sound that was going to break through the brass and the clarinet couldn't do it, but a saxophone could.
1: It's it's really interesting.
0: Let's have a listen now to a little bit of Charlie Parker. So Charlie Parker took that whole idea of saxophone in jazz and took it on its own merry way. Charlie
1: Parker is a bit of a legend. It was lovely. What was that song called? That's
0: called Cherokee. Some of Charlie Parker and his all-time best, I suppose. But what I want to play for you now is I want to play for you classical saxophone. So we've heard the, the ensemble with the four different instruments playing together. We've now heard the jazz part of saxophone. But I want to now play you classical saxophone because... I think classical saxophone has a beautiful beautiful sound to it it's somewhere between a cor anglais and a clarinet and you know maybe an oboe it has a really different sound and really something quite beautiful so this is from Bizet's La Laisienne Suite In that context, it sounds like a member of the orchestra. It doesn't sound like something that doesn't belong. The sound is so beautiful and rich and warm that it sounds like an orchestral instrument.
1: So my question is, why is the saxophone not always in the orchestra?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And the only thing I can think, the only reason I can think is that... Most of the music that uses saxophone is French music. If we think about Bizet, who we just heard, it's in Bolero, Ravel. Most of the music that is uses saxophone comes from the French-speaking world. And it wasn't picked up as much by the Germanic-speaking world. And so much of the orchestral music and the big orchestral music that we listen to is from the Germanic speaking world.
1: Hmm, interesting but it does coming back to what we were just listening to it really does fit in mm. it does and you did summarize you know my perception of the saxophone it's warm it's like reassuring it's a bit of a hug me kind of instrument.
0: Totally and I think that quite often in the jazz world it doesn't have that same sort of quality it's a I mean it's still a beautiful sounding instrument in the jazz world but it's Its quality of sound is different used as a classical instrument than it is used as a jazz instrument.
1: My take of it in the jazz world, it's a bit like it's a performer's kind of live instrument where, you know... The soloist. The the soloist, a bit of of an ego attached to it and like the electric guitar, a bit of the, you know, moving about. It's a leader kind of instrument in the jazz world as opposed to yeah in the classical world more constrained maybe
0: maybe that's the case maybe that and and used in the classical world i think as a color that movement in the la Laysian suite it's just adds this beautiful color to it again if we look at the revel it's just adding a different color a different texture to bolero you know which goes through every instrument it's just adding a different nuance to the music um, so a soloist used as a soloist but a nuanced soloist
1: I mean, we we listened to Ravel in the percussion podcast. We sure did, yes. Should we listen to the saxophone section?
0: Let's listen to that bit. The next instrument. I'm going to show you a picture, and I want you to tell me what it is. It is not a piano.
1: Andy is reaching into a very old briefcase. All right, Andy has handed me a picture of what she claims is not a piano, but all I'm seeing <laughs> is a piano-like instrument. Please explain.
0: Okay. This is not a piano. This is something called a celeste.
1: Celeste. I wouldn't have picked that. I would have thought it was called a piano something.
0: (laughs) Not a piano anything. It's called a celeste. And it's an instrument that, yes, you're right. For those who don't know what a celeste looks like, it looks like a little upright piano. It has the keys. It has the casing looking exactly the same as a piano. But the difference between a celeste and a piano is that when you strike a key on a piano, there's a hammer that hits a string and creates a sound. On the celeste, when you play a note on the key, there's a hammer that hits a little metal bar. So inside the instrument, there are a whole lot of metal bars of different sizes. Think glockenspiel.
1: It's got that glockenspiel-est sound
0: totally does have a glockenspiel-esque sound to it you're absolutely right and it was invented in 1886 in paris again another one of these belgian parisian instruments by a guy called august mistel and he wanted to make this instrument that had sort of the the sound of tuning forks or the sound of the Celeste, making it much easier to play when you just have to play it with your fingers rather than playing it with mallets like we talked about when we looked at the spiel and the mallet percussion instruments that we talked about last time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things you were talking about, you know, you could hold maybe four. It looks like those amazing waiters that can hold three plates yeah, at once yeah, yeah. it was like that is it like, I get that that's actually it's a very innovative way of solving solution but you are missing the key point about it the name who the hell Celeste <laughs> <laughs> who is he trying to impress?
0: Celeste means it's celestial. It comes oh. from the angels. It comes from heaven. It's got this beautiful heavenly sound. It's not some girl called Celeste he had a crush on.
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if, if that was a pathway, you're definitely going to make, make up an instrument and name it after It
0: would make a big impact. You're absolutely right. But in this case, no, it's because it's heavenly. And one of the first composers of note to really use this instrument was actually Tchaikovsky. And if we listen to the Nutcracker, we listen to the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. That instrument is all the Celeste. I want to play you two different excerpts because one of the things that the Celeste has in it is a pedal, like a piano. And the pedal creates a really different sound on the Celeste whether you play it with the pedal or without the pedal. So I'm going to play you a little bit so you can hear the difference in the pedals with the, without the pedal, and then we'll hear the Tchaikovsky. Here's what it sounds like without the pedal.
2: And when the pedal is pressed down, the sound is much more sustained.
1: how it was played but I suppose that, I mean just sometimes they would use the glockenspiel nope. it's always played with yep. a celeste
0: always played with a celeste
1: many questions Go. but probably the obvious one piano players are celeste players do they jump between or is it they pull the xylophone guy from the percussion section who, who plays a celeste nowadays
0: okay so yes it would usually be the pianist the orchestra has a pianist and so the pianist would probably play it But in some orchestras, there is a Celeste player. So in the LSO, the London Symphony Orchestra, there is a Celeste player. So the person who played those two little excerpts of the Celeste being played with and without the pedal, she is the Celeste player.
1: Interesting. She doesn't get much work. I wouldn't imagine, but I mean, she must be just going, or somebody, you know, commission.
0: <laughs> Can I have a Celeste piece, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Well, I mean, the Sugar Plum Fairies must be played somewhere at some time around every, the world.
0: Every Christmas, every Christmas. So she gets a gig every Christmas. But there are other pieces that have Celeste in them. There are quite a few pieces that have Celeste in them. I'm being I'm being rude. You know, Marlis and Symphony No. 6 has it. There are a lot of pieces that have Celeste in them. So
1: did Tchaikovsky write this section for the Celeste? Yes.
0: He heard it and went, oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, he really he thought it was fantastic. Da. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly, yes, exactly. We also hear it in 20th century music and 21st century music. When was the last time you saw Harry Potter? Hedwig's theme played on a celeste.
1: I mean, Andy, very, very familiar tune for anyone that's seen the movie, and all the millennials that are listening. Your favourite little piece is definitely that, and yes, it's very evocative. The mm-hmm. Celeste, I think, it really adds a lot of you know emotion potentially to a piece,
0: and it does have this sort of this quality of of sky. You know, the fact that it's called sort of the Celeste, being celestial in the in the sky and the stars and all that sort of stuff. It really does have this sort of evocative nature. I mean, the fact that John Williams used it to signify this owl sort of playing, sort of flying in the sky. It's the perfect instrument. It really does have that sound. And, and Tchaikovsky using it for a sugar plum fairy, whatever a sugar plum fairy is. You know, it's it really works in these contexts.
1: Yeah, it's it's got it's got a bit of a night feel as well, doesn't it?
0: Yes, yes, with an N, not with a K. Yes. yes. Should we go to another instrument? Absolutely. Now this is an instrument that you definitely do know. It's called a harp. So a harp is an instrument that has been around forever. I mean, what did King David in biblical times play? Probably something looking very similar to a harp. Mm-hmm. So we know that the harp has been around since the time of the Bible in various disguises. We can see mosaics from ancient Greece. We can see paintings from ancient Egypt All people playing things that looked harp-ish. We found bits and pieces of instruments that were harp-ish. So we know that harps have been around for a very, very long time. So we don't need really to look at the harp until it gets really until the period of Mozart. Interestingly, Mozart, one of the few instruments Mozart really didn't like was the harp. Mm. And he wrote a harp concerto for flute and harp. And he made the harp part really, 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 really difficult because he was basically saying to people, if you're silly enough to play this instrument, I'm really going to make it as hard as possible because who would play this silly instrument?
1: Why was Mozart sort of challenging the harpist in such a way?
0: I have absolutely no idea. He just really, it was an instrument that he really didn't like. It didn't send him into ecstasy like other instruments like the clarinet.
1: Let's have a listen.
0: The instrument we have in the 19th century is actually quite a different instrument from the harp that Mozart had because the Mozart harp was quite a crude instrument. It was beginning to evolve, but the harp that we have in the 19th century becomes a very, very usable instrument. It becomes what we call a chromatic instrument where the player can play any note on the harp. So if you think about the harp, it has a string for every note And initially it would just have the white strings. But as music became more complex, it started to need to have all the notes, just not the white notes. So
1: when you're talking about white, you're talking about from the piano. From the piano,
0: from the piano. The white notes on the piano, those white notes were the were the strings of the harp. So what happened was that by the time we get into the nineteenth century, there's a need for for all the notes, the black and white notes, to be able to be played on the harp. So the way they did it is is really quite interesting. You know, if you think about a harp, it has that the column or the pillar down the middle, and then it has sort of the other side of the triangle, and then the top, and then the strings come down like that. If you think of a triangle, you know, it's sort of, that's the shape. But it has the pillar where the stability of the instrument well, that used to be hollow. But when they started making these chromatic instruments, what happened was that they started to use that, use that pillar and put lots of strings and mechanisms down that pillar. And they started to add pedals to the instrument. So if you've seen a harp mm-hmm. today, it's a big, huge, sturdy instrument with seven pedals. It has three for one foot mm-hmm. and four for the other foot. And each of those pedals has three heights, the top, the middle, and the bottom. If you have your pedal at the top, it means the string is the longest. And so that note is a flat. If you then put that pedal into the middle, it's the middle, and the string is a natural. If you then put the pedal down the bottom. Sharp. Oh, clever boy. So
1: it's been, it's episode (laughs) this many I've learned. If there is such thing as heaven and hell, I reckon hell will be coming back and your job is a harp tuner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, um. Well, a harp tuner is actually the harpist. Okay. So, so it's a big job. The, the harpist has to get into work hours before everybody else. to to tune that instrument, make sure it's perfectly in tune before the performance. And I actually heard a harpist on the radio recently, and he had been a harpist and he was no longer a harpist. And they said to him, why are you no longer a harpist? And he said, because in my orchestral gigs, it took me longer to tune the instrument than it did to it most of the time to play the pieces that I was playing. So he's no longer a harpist those pedals give you the ability to now play all the chromatic notes on the harp now the next thing is you might be wondering how does a harpist who sees nothing but white strings know which note it is
1: very good question were you thinking that too i was thinking a lot of little post-it notes but it must be much more (laughs) imagine it's a bit different to that
0: it is a bit different to that there are two colored strings on a harp one of them is the c and one of them is the f so when you see a red string on a harp you know it's the the note c and when you see either a blue or black string on a harp you know it's an f and from those two indications you can you can work out what all the other notes interesting I was talking to a group a couple of months ago about this and about the harp, and then we went to a concert, a harpist concert. And at the end, they all came out and they all went, we didn't enjoy that concert at all." And I said, well, why not? And they said, because you gave us too much information. We spent the whole time looking at the poor harpist's feet, trying to work out whether that he was making sharps or flats or naturals, mm. that they didn't listen to the music at all. So I can just say to people who are listening to this, enjoy the music of the harp, but just know that that's how they're changing their notes.
1: I genuinely didn't realise there was the foot involved with the harp because it's such a visually... Interesting, mm. you know, wavy kind of sound.
0: Romantic-looking yeah. instrument. You know, you're, you're you're caressing your instrument as you're playing it. Mm. You know, it it definitely has this sort of very beautiful sensual aspect to it Mm. you know you bring the instrument to you and you are caressing it I mean Mm. it's it's and the sound that the harp so often makes is this sort of very sensual type of Mm. sound let's have a little bit of a listen now this is Marla number five it's the adagietto it's one of the really famous bits of orchestral harp playing Marla always wrote piano reductions to start with and then would orchestrate the piano reductions and it seems that what he did here was literally pick up the piano part and stick it in the harp part because it's such perfect piano writing but for the harp let's have a listen
1: It does have that romantic, sensual mm. sound to it.
0: Mm. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful sounding instrument. It's just gorgeous. Now, we are now onto a different instrument and this instrument is a little bit different. It's not an instrument and it's not an instrument that I know has ever been played in an orchestra. Let me show it to you. Tell me if you've ever seen this. I mean, I, I'm almost guessing you have, but I'm going to show you a picture.
1: Andy again has handed me something from an old dusty briefcase, <laughs> and I'm looking at this picture, and it do, it does look like something from that you would plug into the TV to play
3: <laughs> a video, a, a
1: video or a DVD, <laughs> but without the actual thing to plug in. I have no idea. It looks it's got it's got like a thing that looks like an aerial on it.
0: So you've never seen this before. Never. Okay, fantastic. This is called a theremin.
1: A theremin.
0: Have you heard of theremin before?
1: No, it feels it does feel like the name of a cult. Actually, it does sound. Like,
0: and really. I think maybe some of the people who play them are probably pretty culty. But it actually comes from the guy's name. His name was Leon Theremin, and he painted this device in 1928. He was a Russian inventor, and he took this instrument on a lengthy tour throughout. Europe and it became one of these instruments that everyone was fascinated about now this is the only instrument that I know of and probably any instrument where you don't touch it at all you make absolutely no contact with this instrument at all
1: and how does this non-touchy theremin actually work and make sounds okay
0: so it's an instrument you plug in I'm actually going to get a guy to explain exactly how it works
2: The theremin is an electronic musical instrument. It was invented in 1919 by a Russian physicist, Leon Theremin. Besides its unusual appearance, the theremin is also unique in that it's played without being touched. The theremin typically consists of a box with two metal antennas which create an electromagnetic field. The musician stands in front of the instrument and moves his hands in the proximity of the two antennas which forms a capacitor between his hands and the antennas. The capacitance of the electromagnetic field varies by the distance between the player and the instrument. The upright antenna controls the pitch. When the right hand approaches the antenna, the pitch gets higher. When the hand moves away from it, the pitch gets lower again. Small, rapid movements of the right hand can create vibrato. The loop antenna controls the volume. Approaching the antenna makes the volume softer, so the left hand is responsible for dynamics and articulation. There is no physical contact with the instrument. Playing the theremin in a precise, melodic way requires much practice. Pitch control is especially challenging, as there is no guidance, No keys or fingerboard positions. The player has to rely on his ear, and he can only correct a pitch when it is audible. Skilled players who control the combination of movements precisely can achieve complex and expressive performances. It looked like something out of vaudeville. It was (laughs) was just like the
1: carnival section at the Easter show. It was very odd because you kind of... It's like someone's miming to play the music. Yeah,
0: and that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like somebody miming, doing sort of over-exaggerated hand movements in in a mime. You're absolutely right. It's exactly what it looks like.
1: From an audio point of view, however, it did. Like, it was somewhere between a violin and maybe some of an Asian music
0: it is very evocative and it's been used by lots of people it's been used Led Zeppelin used it Mm. I'm going to play you an example of when it's used and you're going to be quite surprised Watch *Midsummer Murders* once or twice in your life.
1: Yeah, no, it's d- definitely like a Saturday night kind of feel. But also, I'm thinking sort of schlock horror movies. Yes, as well.
0: absolutely. There's also a scene in *The Big Bang Theory* where Sheldon has his theremin. He's trying to play his theremin. I mean, it was one of those instruments that really I think missed out on an opportunity because what happened was the theremin was very, very popular, and then. Moog who invented the synthesizer was so blown away with it that he then invented the synthesizer which then took over from anything that the theremin could do. So the theremin sort of is a transitional instrument basically when we talk about these electronic instruments it's one of the first electronic instruments but because these instruments changed so rapidly the Moog synthesizer just took over from it and it's now one of these instruments that is a novelty instrument.
1: Well, I gotta say, I mean, when I'm thinking other instruments, you know, the sax, the harp, like they're pretty mainstream. <laughs> Thera- Theramon, don't know if it's gonna get pulled out a lot.
0: Uh, well, no, but it's just such a fab instrument, I just had to throw it in then. We're gonna look at two more instruments very quickly. The first one we're going to look at is an instrument that, you know, I said to you before that there are these instruments that were, were written for specific people and specific times and this instrument is something called a wagner tuba so wagner as i think i may have told you before he thought that the horn the french horn was really an instrument part of the wind family he felt that it belonged there although you know it's obviously a brass instrument and if you think that the horn is part of the wind family then you have a big gap between the trumpet and the trombone you need a, a voice in there. And so he had actually been to Paris and he'd seen Sax's studio, because we're all melding together here, and he was really stunned by what Sax was doing, both with the saxophone and other instruments he was inventing. And so he needed an instrument that was this middle voice, something that was had sort of the sound qualities of both a tuba and a horn. And he had an instrument invented called the Wagner, or the Wagnerian tuba. And I'm going to show Rob this picture of a Wagnerian tuba. It basically looks like a French horn. So it's got all the sort of the coils of a French horn, but it has the bell coming out of the top, much more like a tuba. So interestingly, he had these instruments made so that they could be used in his ring cycle, his opera, the four Mm. huge operas. But it wasn't just Wagner who used these. Bruchner used these instruments. A lot of other composers at the time used these instruments because they filled a space. We're going to actually listen to a little bit of Bruchner's tape, which uses these Wagnerian tubers.
1: sound but filling a gap it's i mean and there was no ego involved in him just not saying it's a Wagnerian tube as opposed to giving it another name no
0: no 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 not with Wagner he's no. a very humble man so <laughs> yeah so no definitely named after him oh, well, i will suppose al Sachs named it after himself too Following the tradition. But it does have a, a horn sort of sound to it, sort of a, a bigger type of horn sound to it. Like I think that if you didn't know it wasn't a horn, you would probably assume that it was a horn. Yeah. And the final instrument we're going to look at is, I'm going to show you another picture. I know there's lots of pictures going on today, but this is an instrument called a serpent. And you will know why it's called a serpent when I show you a photo. So a serpent looks like, a bunch of s's, double s's, sort of or or a w with an m attached to it, which is like a serpent. Yeah. And it was made of metal and then it had leather wrapped really really tightly around it and it had a brass mouthpiece.
1: It's a very odd looking instrument, Andy, and yeah, the visuals so obviously, it does look like a snake curling, especially with that black leather around it.
0: Very much so. And, in fact, this instrument's been around for forever. In fact, when the Gregorian chants were still being sung, it often accompanied the lower voices. So in 1590-ish, it accompanied the lower voices when plainchant chants were sung. And it's part of the brass family because of this mouthpiece. And it was an instrument that was part of the whole musical world up until pretty much the end of the 19th century. So even in the 19th century, people were playing these things called serpents. So, you know, I was talking to you before about instruments coming and going. It wasn't until the 20th century, really, that the serpent disappeared. A really hard instrument to play, but one with a really quite unique sound.
1: I'd love to listen. Any call for the 21st century serpent revival?
0: Oh, not with me playing it. But it's a very difficult instrument. It's as I said, it's a brass instrument, so you need to be able to buzz when you play it. It has six holes in it. It's a bit of a serpent to play.
3: Oh oh
1: it's a familiar sound Andy the serpent it-
0: it's actually one of the precursors to the trombone you know it has that sort of trombone sort of sound to it too and in that situation which is you know baroque music it sounds absolutely beautiful and there are a heap of Paintings made of musical instruments and of people holding instruments and they're holding serpents so it was really a very known instrument in the day and the day being all the way until the 19th century
1: Andy why do you think it was wrapped in leather
0: I think probably to do with the acoustics to give it that more mellow sound I don't really know but I'm assuming that probably had something to do with it
1: it definitely differentiates it from the uh... The brassier kind of instruments
0: it it has that mellow brassy sound and the brassy sound is also created because of the mouthpiece but it does have that more of a mellow sound to it
1: we've had a journey andy we've we've definitely harps and
0: saxophones and celestes and what were you thinking of the (laughs) theremin
1: it's definitely been quite a journey yes these poor other instruments you know Obviously, some are still rocking and rolling, such as the saxophone, and others, like the theremin are destined to be boxed and put in the cupboard. Oh,
0: not so much. I think the theremin is one of those instruments that you are a bit obsessive you know you become it is a very 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 hard instrument to play i mean you know we've talked about when we were talking about the violin and where do you know where to put your fingers well at least you have a string you know here it is it's just space you know where to know to 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 stick your finger in space is so much more difficult so i think that people who do play something like the theremin are very dedicated to their craft but I could have gone on and on and on with these other instruments these instruments have sometimes played in in orchestral pieces of music or have died out over time except for the third one.
1: Andy I mean I say this every time I've really learned a lot I think it's been very interesting I feel like a reward should be coming soon But before I try some apple Apple cake, cake, mm, just remind everyone to rate and review us. Please do that. It really helps more people listen to us. That's how these algorithms work. And we need to think about where are we heading from here? Andy. Where do we go from the others?
0: Okay. So for the others, we're actually going to hear another other, but it's a very well-known other and that's the piano.
1: Ooh, it's not to be confused with the Celeste.
0: Not to be confused with the Celeste, but we will be looking at the history of the piano.
1: I'm looking forward to Andy.
0: Thank you. Thanks very much, Rob. We will see you all next time. I hope you enjoyed Coffee, Cake and Culture, the music podcast. As Rob said, please rate and review. Have a look at what we're doing at coffeecakeandculture.com.au. See you later. Thanks.
1: podcast has been produced by etales.com.au that's www.etales.com.au